Greetings, my good people. How are we? What is happening? What's going on? How are we feeling? Hope you're enjoying your Labor Day weekend as we close out the unofficial ending of summer. That's right. It has come. It's almost time to get ready for the pumpkin lattes, the sweatshirts, the long jackets. Those I certainly dread because I do not ever want to let go of summer. But be that as it may, with endings come new beginnings and a new football season just a few days away among many other sports to discuss here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first-timers listening in, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content as to what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. And for those who've been with me on this journey from episode 1 to now 88, I welcome you guys back again, Monday, Labor Day, September the 2nd, in the year of our Lord, 2019. Lots to get into. I'll run down the list of what's to come here on this podcast. College football season has now kicked off. Jalen Hurts, what a performance he had last night. To me, that was the story of the weekend in college football. Everything else is pretty much chalk, but we'll get into that. Also, the NBA and NHL training camps are going to be opening up in the next few weeks. So the winter sports will start to slowly but surely trickle in before we get into the NFL. There's a couple of things to touch on with those two sports. And as I mentioned, with the NFL, lots of player movement over the weekend. Cuts, trades, signings, the Dolphins, are they tanking? Who knows? We'll get into all that. But what's going to kick us off here is the baseball and the wildcard races that we've been discussing over the course of the last, what is it, maybe two to three weeks. And here we are now with just four weeks left in a regular season and 26 games for a New York Met team that came off a just a brutal homestand. Last week we spoke when they just got swept by the Braves and you're thinking with the Cubs coming to town, and you know that the Cubs were right there, neck and neck, in this wild card race that they had to come out at least winning two out of three so they could gain a game in the wild card race. And what happened? Not only did they get swept, pretty much got embarrassed when you look at it. Embarrassed from the standpoint of Noah Syndergaard giving up 10 runs in three innings. Embarrassed from the standpoint that their offense, whenever Jacob DeGrom pitches, for whatever reason, it's almost as if they hate Jacob DeGrom. It's like, you know what? We're not going to perform tonight. So even if Jake throws... A perfect game through seven innings. We're not going to muster up a hit, let alone a run. So they leave City Field. Starting off this homestand 3-0, they get swept on both ends of the homestand. And as they go to Philadelphia, which they rebounded nicely. But here at this stage of the season, and like I said, with 26 games to play, winning series are good, but now you have to get on winning streaks. Because as much as it's good to win series, and we all know they're important. You can't have any type of losing streaks or certainly you don't want to lose series. You can't lose two out of three at this stage of the year. And if you're the Mets right now, as you go to Washington for three games before coming home to a long homestand, but a very competitive one at that, which we'll get into. And Washington right now, they are cruising at the top spot of the NL wildcard race, so you could certainly forget about that. But all you're hoping for in these next three games, just get two of them. Would you love a sweep? Absolutely. But one game at a time, you have Noah who hopes to rebound today against the Nats, and then you have Jacob tomorrow. So you got your top two guns going up against the top team there in this race. And all you're hoping for, people, as much as you want to get these series wins, and rightfully so, but try to get a streak going. So even if you win two out of three here and you come home for a long 10-game homestand, and remember, this is their next-to-last road trip. They go to Colorado and Cincinnati after the 10-game homestand that's upcoming. And then they close that out with seven games at home. And we can't even look at their home field record as a plus or as a positive considering that 
what they just went through the past week, losing those final six games on the homestand. So as much as you want to hang your hat on, oh, they play better at home, well, certainly the last six games didn't show that. So if you're a Met fan, like myself, as everybody knows, and for the diehard that's out there, as much as you want to say, hey, we're still in the race, hey, we're four games back, and we still are mathematically, but remember, two weeks ago, we were talking on these airwaves, discussing how the Mets were neck and neck with Milwaukee, just a half game back of, at the time, St. Louis, for that second wild card spot. And now here we are today, four games back, which doesn't look bad, but now we have to leapfrog four teams in the process. And granted that you play Philly again three more times this coming weekend, and you also play Arizona four times after that. And to think Arizona's performed unbelievably here since the trade that Zach Greinke over to Houston, you would think that they were pretty much calling off the dogs for their season. But they have fought hard. They certainly belong in this race. And now the Mets have to contend with them moving forward. And knowing that they have four games with them, they could certainly do some damage. And this is what I mean by not just winning the series. Yeah, three out of four would be nice because that means you get two games against them. But even more so, sweep them. Get them out of here. Same for Philly. Sweep them also. Get them out. And I understand it's not as easy just to say, hey, we're going to reel off seven, eight straight games in a row. And of course, you could look at that last month where the Mets had that streak of, what was it, 13 out of 14 or really 15 out of 16 when they had that seven-game winning streak and then they lost that first game in Pittsburgh and then they followed that up with two games at the back end of that trip, four against Miami and then those first two against the Nationals. But again, the Miami, you're not going to see them until the end of the month. There are no Pittsburgh Pirates, San Diego Padres. None of those teams are on the schedule. You have the Reds down the road, but that's, again, later on in the month. Right now, as much as you want to preach winning series, and that's important, and we get that. But when you have four teams ahead of you in this race, it's time to start reeling off some victories. And I understand it's easier said than done. And as a fan, you want to be optimistic and you want to look at the big picture and say, well, hey, if we did this before, we could do it again. But Washington, as you well know, they certainly are even probably trying to look for a division because they go to Atlanta this weekend. And Atlanta keeps winning too. So it's not as if they've gained ground on the Braves. So not to say that they're going to be resigned to get that first wild card spot. I'm sure they want to see what they can to get the AL East or excuse me, the NL East at least tied or maybe even somehow, some way even get past them. But I believe this is their last series against the Atlanta Braves this year. So the Nationals right now are sitting pretty in that top spot, not going anywhere because the Cubs aren't going to threat, threaten them. The Phillies, Milwaukee, forget about the Mets, or even Arizona for that matter. So if you're a Mets fan right now, as much as you want to be excited, and we have a right to be excited, but when you look at that back end of that homestand, when they do not make the playoffs this year, and I'm going to say when, and I'll get into that in a minute, when they don't make the playoffs this year, those six games are going to be the killer games of the season. Don't go back to earlier in the year when they lost on that crazy road trip at the end. Speaking of Chicago and Philly, when they lost those four games, we could go back and say, oh, those games in April are just as important as the games in August, September. No, it doesn't matter because these games in late August and September were the killers for this Met season. Unless they somehow, some way, start another one of those 15 of 16s and get themselves in pole position in the National League as far as the wild card is concerned. Now, I know for sure that if the Mets were to at least get this series here and they go home after a day off on Thursday, maybe they could regroup, rally the troops, and somehow, some way, put together a string of games where they could hopefully 
put themselves in a good position to at least get to the middle of September in a race where right now it looks like it's slipping away. Because remember, even after they play Philly and Arizona for four, you know who's coming to town after that? The Dodgers. And we get that the Dodgers aren't going to have much to play for other than home field. And that's a big thing because if they go to the World Series, and not that it mattered back in 2017, because remember, they lost a game seven at home to the Astros. But I'm sure they're going to look at that and say, why not? We want to be able to get the home field throughout the playoffs and even into the World Series. So there aren't any easy outs on this schedule unless they get to the road when they go to Colorado and Cincinnati. And then they follow up with Miami. But who knows? By then it could be too late. So the Mets need to act now. And the reason why I say when people, I don't want it to be a thing where I'm being cynical or I'm being negative, pessimistic, whatever it may be. But even if the Mets win two out of three here, and let's say two out of three against the Phillies, and in this stretch right here, they'll be six and three. And that's good. But then four for Arizona, which you could see a split. That's hard to win three out of four. Then the Dodgers coming in. The Mets cannot beat the Dodgers. They've been awful against them ever since the 2015 National League Division Series. And even if they have a successful homestand, and we can talk about it now because when we get back on the air next Monday, there'll only be three games into that 10-game homestand. I mean, you'd have to settle for seven and three. Six and four, I don't think is going to cut it. And in these 26 games, looking at their record, and right now, they are 60, was it 69 and 60, hold on. I should know off the top of my head. Yeah, 69, 67 as I thought. So you're probably not going to get to 90 because if the Mets are going to get to 90, they're going to go 23 and three. Not happening. But here's the thing. Even if you're going to get to 88, you're going 21-5. Are the Mets going 21-5 with this schedule? Because chances are they're going to have to get 88. And if you even want to think maybe 86 will cut it. Because we have to look at what the Cubs schedule is. And I have the schedules for the upcoming week. And next week I'll get on and we'll go through the rest of the year for all these teams. But with the Mets right now, even to get to 86... And that's going to be doing the math off the top of my head. 17 and 9. That's not going to make it. And this is what I mean. They have to get winning streaks. Because even if they win every series from here on out. And we know they're not going to win every series. It's not. Mets, although we've seen early on that they could sustain these long winning streaks. And again, most of them against the bad teams. But they are not going to win every series for, from here to the end of the season. Until that final game against Atlanta. And... If you're a Met fan, as much as you want to just break out the blue and orange pom-poms and think that, hey, we still got a shot, it's still a long shot for them to get this wild card, that second wild card in the NL. It just is. And I don't know if the Mets are going to have enough in the tank. And I even said it last week after that loss to Philly, especially the final game with DeGrom. And he was going swimmingly. He was pitching great. And then Caratini hits the second home run. He hit the first home run earlier. And then that was it. I just thought that the Mets season ended that night because they needed one of those games. And bad enough, they needed the two. But by them getting swept and being five games back, that was it. Because now the Mets would just have to go literally 21-5 the rest of the way to get to the postseason. And I don't think they have that in them. I don't. You just hope that it starts again today, even after a tough loss last night in Philly where you know the Mets were down. 2-1 pretty much the whole game, and then they got that run there in the eighth inning. 
And then Mickey Callaway, as I said weeks ago in my Sucked In podcast, it was going to be Diaz, the schedule, and Mickey Callaway. And Mickey Callaway yesterday, I get that Justin Wilson pitched the prior two days, but he only threw 10 pitches on Friday and 11 pitches on Saturday. Couldn't he hit start the eighth inning yesterday? You got to go down with your best. That's it. You can't start that inning with Daniel Zamora. I'm sorry. Going against Bryce Harper. And then he brings in Familia. Where Familia, as we all know, Met fans have seen this movie plenty of times. Where he comes in during the middle of an inning and he just implodes. You can't do that with Familia. He's a guy that needs to start an inning clean in order for him to be effective. And we all know this year he's been pathetic. So that was one thing on Mickey Callaway that I thought was as bad. I get it that he probably didn't want to go to Wilson three days in a row. But these games are priceless. And your team just came back in the game to tie it in the top of the eighth. You had to hold that team to a zero at the bottom. Hopefully you could scratch, claw out one run in the ninth. And then you have to bring in Diaz to close it out. Because there was no way Seth Lugo was coming in after him pitching two innings the day before. So there was a Callaway hiccup along this way to trying to make it to the postseason. And here we are. And that's pretty much it, people. I mean, what more can I say about this team? What more can I say about this stretch here? And the reason why I say that they're not going to make the playoffs is because I think it's a combination of the schedule. It's too much to overcome. That Cub series was a killer. All right, you get swept by the Braves. That was bad. But you needed two, absolutely at least one, and you didn't get any. And that's why you're five games back. And even take a case in point yesterday. So here you are, you're going for a sweep. You already knew that the Cubs lost. And I understand you still have to leapfrog a bunch of other teams. You got to re- leapfrog Milwaukee and Arizona and Philly. Obviously, you're playing them head-to-head. So, And to think, you would have actually gone ahead of Philly if you would have won the game last night by sweeping them. So even more desperation and more urgency for you to go out there and try to do whatever it takes to get your best players out there, a la Justin Wilson, to perform and hopefully... Steal a victory there and leave Philadelphia to go to the nation's capital that much more closer to that second wild card. And he didn't do it. And that's why I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And that's not going out on a limb. I'm sure a ton of other baseball prognosticators feel the same way I do. And that's all there is to it. I wish I could add more to it. I wish I could say, well, hey, if somehow this... No, no, no. You just got to play these games and see how it shakes down. It'd be nice if they could get two out of three at least here. Especially, as I said before, with both Noah, hopefully he'll rebound from that putrid last start. And Jacob, can they score runs for this man, please? And then you just take it from there. You know, Strowman hasn't been great since he's been a Met, let's face it. I understand he pitched into to the seventh yesterday, but you know, he gave up a you know, bunch of hits. And I understand just two runs, but... And Wheeler and Matts have actually been pretty good. As of late, Matt's shaking the doldrums of pitching in Philadelphia as he has not only over the years, but especially this year. Remember the one game he gave up eight runs without getting out back in April. So here we are, Met fans. Again, is hope still alive? Do you want to believe? Absolutely. This is why we watch sports. This is why we follow these teams. This is why we get into what we get into because we love it. But we we don't love the pain and the torture and the suffering of having to deal with just brutal loss after brutal loss, or in a case like last night, when you know that the Cubs have lost and you could actually overtake the Phillies when you're 2-2 in the bottom of the eighth inning and then you blow it and you had a golden opportunity to get to three games with the Cubs and ahead of Arizona and that much closer to Milwaukee. That's what the one game means. So that's what you have there with the Mets. Uh, I'll get to the rest of the National League picture 
as well as the American League in a minute. The thing with the Yankees, real quick, is that now it seems like the IL bug is back. When you have CC Sabathia going on with a knee, and then Gio Urshela, which is the shocker, and we all know Urshela has played pretty much to MVP capabilities. Although that's going to be more DJ LeMahieu, but with Urshela now on the shelf, I believe he has a shoulder. Let me just double check that. Urshela is a guy that, as we've seen, unbelievably, then time and time again, you know, just produced for this team. You know, hitting in the three thirties. We all know how good of a defensive player he is. Well, now he's going to be on the mend. And you would think he'll be back before the end of the season. So, But with that, with CC, with everybody else that's been hurting and ailing, Luke Voigt is off to the IL, so let's see what he does here over the last month of the season. But that's all you're doing right now if you're in Yankee land is just trying to heal, get to 100%, and then start the sprint in October to a World Series title. That's it. We still don't know what's happening with Severino, although they, he says, from what we hear, he's feeling great. And that, may who knows if he's ready to pitch over the course of the next few weeks, but you would think we'd see an appearance at some point. Because I'm sure whatever he does will be pivotal, even if it's coming out of the bullpen. Same with Patances, we don't know what's up with him. Obviously, we haven't seen either one of these guys. We've talked about him for weeks on end, so it's pretty much going to be put up or shut up because we're only down to these final few weeks of the season. And the Yankees right now, 10 games ahead. As I said, just cruising finally getting to that division title and right now it's just a matter of getting healthy and I know not to bring this up to the Yankee fan because I'm sure they're going to say no 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 and break out the crosses and everything else but there's also one person that who knows how far along he is in this process as far as getting healed and that's the one Giancarlo Stanton and right now every Yankee fan say no they're just waving him off well guess what Yankee fans if he's healthy and can play he's going to be in the lineup And it's going to be sad because if he comes back and does not produce, they're going to want this man off the team. And Brian Cashman, I get this is a story or a subject for maybe uh, November, December, whatever it may be. But if he comes back and does not produce, the Yankee fans are going to want to drive him to the airport to probably send him to L.A. because that's the only team he's going to go to in the Dodgers. It's the only one. That's going to be one storyline that is going to unfold at some point. And I know that the Yankee fan is cringing and shivering a little bit because they do not want to see number 27 in that outfield or even in the lineup. But guess what? That day may come. And that's it. It's almost see you in October. Divisional series. And away we go. Who knows? They may even play the A's in the division series, which would be interesting. Now the A's, like I said at the top, although they lost two out of three, but they played very well this weekend against the Yankees. Do I trust him in October? No way. I wouldn't bet my house or my life on him. Sorry. But they showed to be a tough out this weekend. I guess especially a tough out against the Yankees all year. Really you know, in the last two weeks because that's when they've seen him and played him. But uh, we'll check on uh, them later on. As a matter of fact, we'll check on the wild cards now. We'll go through that real quick. In the American League, the White Sox have certainly... Excuse me, the White Sox. The uh, Indians just to stick in the AL Central. The Indians not only just had a rough weekend in Tampa, but uh, believe it or not, even with that rough weekend in Tampa, they certainly still hold a good position there in the American League wild card. They got swept by the Rays over the weekend. And Cleveland, they are certainly right now running on fumes. And this race is certainly going to be, it's just as fascinating as the National League. 
even though you have all the teams bunched up in the National League going for the top two spots, but in the American League, you only have the three teams. You want to include the Red Sox that are five back? I don't think so. That's not going to happen. And the Yankees are going up to Fenway this weekend, so who knows? Maybe you could put the Red Sox out of their misery this weekend with another sweep or three out of four as they try to inch closer in their pursuit of the wild card. But the three teams, Tampa, with what they did against Cleveland over the weekend, they have the number one spot in the AL wild card, followed by Cleveland, just a half game back. Actually, percentage points ahead of them because they're both tied in the loss. And then Oakland, also percentage points back, half game, tied in the loss. All three teams have 58 losses. But the difference is, is that Tampa has 80 wins, Cleveland 79, Oakland 78. So Oakland has two games in hand to make up. So they're in decent position as of right now. And then Cleveland coming off that rough weekend in Tampa, where Tampa now has the uh, top spot, as I mentioned. And when you look at what they have this week, the Indians have the White Sox coming in for four before going to Minnesota for three. And Minnesota has opened up now a five and a half game lead in the division, which you would think that they're going to pretty much set sail here. Now they do play the Indians again in Cleveland, I believe for four the following week. So they still have plenty of games matched up against them. So you just can't pencil them in as AL Central champions as of yet, the the, uh, Twins that is. But they're certainly in line and certainly in good position to win their first division in quite some time. As far as Tampa's concerned, they had a tough week, you know, losing at Houston the way they did and then bouncing back against Cleveland. But they have Baltimore and then Toronto at home for four. So their long homestand continues against the dregs of the AL East. You would think that they would fatten up against those clubs and certainly keep their top spot in the wild card for a little bit longer. And in Oakland, they'll host not only the Anaheim Angels, but the Detroit Tigers, which is the worst team in the league. So who knows? A week from now, it'll be interesting. Will Tampa still hold position or pole position in the AL wild card? Will Cleveland fall back considering that they're going to Minnesota over the weekend? And with Tampa hosting Baltimore and Toronto, they could certainly make a move here. So fascinating stuff there as far as the American League is concerned. And in the National League, here's what I'll break it down. The Cubs have two games against Seattle in the league before a day off, and then they go Milwaukee for four. The Brewers host the Astros at home for two before the Cubs go in there for four games themselves. St. Louis, do we even talk about them? I mean, they're three and a half games ahead of the Cubs right now, but they have four against the Giants and then go to Pittsburgh, so their schedule's cake. I mean, jeez. And then the Phillies, four in Cincinnati starting today before coming to New York over the weekend. And yes, Arizona, I must throw them in there. Arizona is home to San Diego. They go to Cincinnati over the weekend before coming to New York for four. So look at those schedules, people, in the NL. Forget about Washington. I'm not even going to mention them. And even though I did state that they go to Atlanta over the weekend. Okay. Milwaukee, they, go to, they have to play Houston for two, which is not going to be easy. And then they host the Cubs. So you hope maybe the Mets can gain ground there. Seattle comes in for two to Wrigley. Seattle's awful, as we all know. Philadelphia, Cincinnati for four. Cincinnati's left for dead. And then Arizona, San Diego, and Cincinnati. Mets have the tougher schedule. This is why I feel like they're not going to make it to the postseason. Because they only got to play Washington, and they play Philly, and then Arizona, and then the Dodgers. I, geez, I mean, when does it stop? So that's what you have there, people, with the NL wild card. We'll certainly keep our eyes glued to this as we move along here, as we get that much closer to the end of the season. And one last baseball note. Give it up for Justin Verlander yesterday. 
who was the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to have two no-hitters in the same ballpark as a visitor, which is fascinating when you think about that. The 150 or the 150 years that baseball's been played, that, that that's the only time that's ever happened. And with Verlander getting his third, and he actually had opportunities to get more than three. Now, I never forget one in particular in Detroit against the Pirates, where in the ninth inning, I think with one out, Josh Harrison, I believe if I'm not mistaken, he was actually pitching a perfect game. Got to base it up the middle on him. So he's had other opportunities to maybe have four or even five no-hitters at this point. And he is only one of, what is it, six players that have had more than three no-hitters. Obviously, Sandy has four. Nolan Ryan is the most at seven. You want to sprinkle in a few of the players from yesteryear who have gotten that, you know, the, that esteemed record. But Verlander, give it up for him. He is uh, definitely on his way to a Hall of Fame. I know a lot of people question that, especially when those Tiger years of 2013 through 16, early 17, before he got traded to the Astros. And now he's just been dominant. I would think he's going to win the Cy Young, not just based on a no-hitter, but he's 17-5. and five. He's drinking from some fountain of youth because he has certainly turned his mechanics and not only that, but his pitching career around, even at the age of, what is he, 36, maybe 37. So give it up to Verlander for a third no-hitter in his major league career. And you would think, we understand that this isn't the 70s and 80s where you have to get 300 victories or 3,000 strikeouts or whatever. And Verlander, I believe, is close to 100 games over 500 in his career if he isn't. But he has well over 200 victories, which pretty much 200 is now a new 300 with the way the game's being played in this day and era. And for him to achieve a third no-hitter, it's, I mean, listen, I haven't seen that in my lifetime. I mean, I understand Nolan Ryan through seven, but we didn't, at my age, I didn't get to see a lot of those early ones. We saw a lot of the late ones when he was with the Texas Rangers especially. But for Verlander to do that, that's just an unbelievable achievement. So kudos to him. And that's what we have there with the baseball. Uh, we'll turn our attentions now to the NFL. A lot of player movement over the weekend, which was expected as the exhibition season is finally done. And as I said last week, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. You wonder if the the league will take a look at this past preseason and try to do some sort of adjustment to make sure that these games, and I get it's all about money at the end of the day, but nobody's going to these games. Nobody cares about these games. And I've said time and time again for everybody that, oh, football's back. It's early August. Hey, but wait for, who cares? Those games are meaningless. And I would think that the powers that be at the NFL would look at that and say, we need to get back to the drawing board and see what we could do here. Maybe we make it three games, two games. I understand they're probably not going to do anything too drastic. But I think a lot of these scrimmages that these teams go to visit, let's say for a few days, those are important. Not to say you're going to have these scrimmage games, but... Again, it just makes the product that much more unbearable to watch. Nobody cares. And not only that, but these players do not even participate in any of these games. So if you figure if you cut it to two, maybe three games, hey, maybe the first game out of the preseason, you know, maybe they'll play a quarter. The second game, they'll play a half. And then the third game, you can rest everybody. Who knows? Or if you just play the two games, even better. But again, we all know it's money. We all know it's uh, revenue, etc. But... The networks don't care about these games. The players certainly, obviously, do not want to participate in these games. So there has to be some sort of an adjustment somewhere. I don't know what they could do in the collective bargaining agreement. I know we have a proposal maybe coming in the next couple of years because they're going to have to re-up on the CBA. But uh, enough said on that. So we'll see if the death of the preseason, to a certain extent, uh, takes place going into 2020 and beyond. As far as transactions, I know a lot of people looking at the Dolphins with everything that happened over the weekend them trading Kiko Alonso to New Orleans, 
their left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, as well as Kenny Stills, the wide receiver, which a lot of people thought that maybe this was some residue from earlier in camp where Stills came at owner Stephen Ross as far as comments that were made in reference to Donald Trump and hosting one of those benefits for social injustice and how can you have Donald Trump involved in all this, as I mentioned, what was it, maybe three weeks ago. So you kind of wonder, was there any motive to trade him because of that? Of course, the coach Brian Flores didn't say that. Everything was kept internally, but he didn't attribute it to that. But uh, a lot of moves there for Houston as they get a left tackle to protect Deshaun Watson. Also another receiver there to go along with DeAndre Hopkins. I know a lot of the talk now, Miami tanking. They weren't going to be a good team to begin with. And I got news for you. If their number is four and a half right now, you definitely would probably take the under. And we're going to talk more over-unders later in the week. I'll get into that as far as the NFL podcast or the football podcast is concerned. But the Dolphins, they're going to have a long season. So strap yourselves in, Dolphin fans. It's going to be another rough one before next year. And who knows if they're going to have that top spot in the draft where they're either going to get the likes of uh, Tua. uh, I can't pronounce his last name. You know, the kid from Alabama, the quarterback. Even Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback. I don't know if he'll be eligible to come out. And even Jalen Hurts, especially after his performance last night against Houston, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But the NFL was certainly wheeling and dealing. Even Jadavian Clowney going to Seattle, where Seattle, they're trying to get themselves in the mix, not only in their division, but also in the conference. They felt like even by making it to the wild card last year against Dallas, they added a pass rusher, which, listen, I can't trust. He's like the Mets. You don't know if he's going to be healthy. You don't know where his head's going to be at. I understand he's going to be in a contract year. He's going to want, and as a matter of fact, I think they already probably extended him. At this point, because why are they going to trade for him for one year if they're not even thinking about giving him a a long-term contract? So Clowney goes to Seattle, so he leaves Houston to go to the Pacific Northwest. You also have Brian Hoyer, who was cut by the New England Patriots, and he signs with the Colts, considering their quarterback situation there. He'll back up Jacoby Brissett, which is irony, because obviously Jacoby Brissett was a former New England Patriot quarterback on their depth chart once upon a time. So the Patriots are going with Jared Stidham as a backup. Uh, don't know who he is, never seen him perform, but chances are you're going to see Brady take every snap this year. You're probably not even going to see Stidham hit the field unless it's uh, at the end of the game shaking hands with the opponents. So that's what we have there with the NFL. Uh, oh, a couple other things. One is uh, Pat. Uh, what's it, Pittsburgh, the corner Joe Hayden, which was a good move. Two years, $22 million. I understand Hayden has suffered some injuries, especially in his tenure here in Pittsburgh. But they do not have any type of veteran leadership in that secondary. We all know it's a very young secondary. By putting him in the mix, uh, it was good for them to do that. So hopefully with his veteran leadership, we could certainly not only improve that secondary somewhat, but also make it that much more cohesive because you certainly don't want to go with a bunch of young guys as your secondary, whether it's you know Terrell Edmonds of the world, the Cam Suttons of the world, you know guys like that where you know they're certainly going to be on an island and they're going to be tested by some of the top quarterbacks in this league. So by having Hayden back there certainly is a, ben- is a benefit. And then the ongoing saga with Ezekiel Elliott, who knows what's going to happen with that. But we do kind of know with Melvin Gordon in LA with the Chargers that the GM, uh, Tom Telesco, said that no talks will be made until after the season. There was even talks about him if he wanted to go, he wanted to request a trade, he could do that. But Gordon, I, I get it. And 
you look at the last couple of years, whether it was Todd Gurley or even especially Le'Veon Bell, these guys are going to see if they could dictate their future by holding out. But unless the Chargers start off 0-2 or the same with the Cowboys, these owners and these GMs, they're not going to run to these agents to say, hey, we want these guys signed on the dotted line. So that's going to be a game of chicken. We're going to see how that uh, shakes down. And one thing for sure is that if these teams get off to a fast start, who knows if we're ever going to see these guys again? Just putting that out there. So that's what you got there. And later on in the week, in fact, uh, Thursday morning, I'll have my complete NFL preview, which I'll get over, you know, go over every all the divisions. I'll even preview the Steelers for my Steeler fans out there. I'll go through it all, over-unders, my, I don't want to say suicide, but knockout pool picks. Of course, in this day and age, you got to be PC, even with saying that, and we understand that that word, the S word, has been used a lot when it comes to these pools, but we'll say more of a knockout pool. I'll pick my team, which I've been just pathetic. And I'm not picking the Saints because I picked the Saints twice in the past on the opening game. I don't even know who the Saints play off the top of my head, but I'm not picking them to be my uh, first team in a knockout pool. But I'll be sure to have that all wall-to-wall, Super Bowl predictions, everything, you name it. And I'm still working on the guest people. So, uh, yeah, I know it's tough. I'm trying to get somebody credible on here. I don't want to get somebody from, you know, football.com to handicap an NFL season. I'm trying to get somebody of, of ilk. So hopefully I'll have that person on with me to uh, discuss everything that's going to happen up in this 2019 NFL season. As far as college football is concerned, everything was pretty much chalk when you think about it. I'm not going to go through all these games and these teams. I mean, most of these games were routes anyway. But the to me, the story was Jalen Hurts. We all know... Jalen Hurts was the former Alabama quarterback before Tua took over. And we all know Tua's story. And Hurts, who is a capable... I never thought he was a... I'm not going to say great is a strong word. And when you're on... You know, when you play in Alabama, you know, it's more about the defense and other, the other parts. The quarterback is not the one that drives that machine. But Hurts, obviously, he's a capable quarterback. He does have ability. But what you saw last night was Vince Young-like in the Rose Bowl against USC. When you throw for 332 yards and rush for 176, I don't know if that's more Hurts in Oklahoma or is an indictment on the Houston defense. So you got to chalk that into the mix. I did not watch the game, but anytime a performer or quarterback is going to have those type of numbers, uh, you got to give it up. And I'm sure Hurts wants to doubt all the naysayers and all the doubters out there. I'm sure he wants to put them to rest considering that being there with Lincoln Riley, a great offensive mind, and for him to show the college football world that, yes, I could have still been on Alabama doing it for you guys, but that's all right. I'm with Oklahoma, and I'm going to do what I can to try to match up against Alabama in whether it be a conference semifinal or championship semifinal or the actual championship itself. So that's going to be a storyline to see moving forward. So good for Jalen Hurts as they get off the canvas there in 2019 with just a 49-21 thrashing of Houston. All right, before I get to that, I did look at the college football schedule here. Uh, nothing to sneeze at. I know Iowa, Iowa State, if you want to get crazy about that, the Battle of Iowa going on this weekend. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't have anything else that's noteworthy. I was trying to look for Notre Dame. I guess they probably played the following week against Michigan. That's just vintage. Usually the second game of the year is between those two teams. But uh, that must be for the following week. So college football, again, it's going to be a slow start. Uh, once you get into October, you're going to have a few games, you know, Red River shootout and a couple of the games that we'll certainly pay attention to. But later on in the year, that's when they're really focusing on not to say I'm going to neglect college football overall, but you get the point. Since we're just getting started here, you're not going to get a lot of sexy games, sexy matchups until we get 
pretty much into the teeth of the schedule weeks, you know, five through 10. And then obviously you have the matchups there leading into Thanksgiving, all the, you know, Ohio State Michigans, all the rivalry games before leading into the conference championships. And then obviously the bowl season. So that's what we have there. As far as the NBA is concerned, Eric Gordon signs three years, $54.5 million in extension there, which was good to keep him on the team considering all the transactions that took place, especially with the trade for Russell Westbrook. So to have him as a deep three-ball threat was pivotal, and we all know in that system with D'Antoni, that's uh, of the utmost. So you have that there with the NBA. And again, these camps are going to start opening up at the end of the month. I mean, it's just amazing how these these seasons, these leagues, the turnover, before you know it, they're going to be tipping off here in about six weeks, the NBA season. What is it, October 15th that may be the first game? I got to double check that. But before you know, we're going to be talking NBA and NHLs right around the corner too. I believe camps open up uh, the end of next week as they always start their seasons early October. So slowly but surely, we'll start to uh, initiate and engage with those teams and those sports to get ready for that season as October is to me. I understand this could be the argument of arguments with sports fans, but as much as October could be the best sports month of the year, I always think it's April, me personally. Not because I'm more of a spring into summer guy, I I get that, but we understand baseball playoffs, NFL season's in full swing, NHL, NBA's beginning, and then college football obviously is in full effect. But And it is a great month. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. I mean, October is a great month to follow sports, but to me, I prefer April, if you ask me, with the Masters, NHL, NBA playoffs, baseball season starting, NFL draft. Uh, you just got so much to shake a stick at. So, But that's what you have there. Uh, speaking of shaking a stick at, or in this case, a tennis racket, the U.S. Open, which has pretty much been chalked to this point. I know the other night you had the matchup with Coco Golf going up against number one ranked Naomi Osaka, which was emotional to say the least. And those are hopefully... Two giants of the sport down the road. Osaka, as we all know, she's a champion in her own right and just showed a lot of class in trying to console Coco Goff there at the end of the match where she just won in straight sets. And Coco Goff, you just hope, and I've said this in past podcasts, you'd have to go back, I guess, to maybe the middle of July after talking about Wimbledon, how U.S. tennis is not even on the map. Definitely on the men's side, but on the women's side, with Serena and Venus slowly but surely fading off into the sunset, to have someone like Coco Goff be part of the tennis fixture or the, the tennis map as far as U.S. women's is concerned is just, it's a boom. You need it. We understand tennis isn't a top sport here in this country. We all know it's football, it's basketball, baseball, even hockey in some parts of this country. Tennis is not even on this radar. And a lot of it has to do with the players that are here. And that's the same for golf. You know, when Tiger is going well, everybody gets into golf. So imagine if you had that one male tennis figure or even women's tennis figure that you could certainly say, hey, I want to watch her perform. And I'm sure a lot of people looked at Coco Goff's journey, especially what, what she did in Wimbledon and now here at the U.S. Open going up against Osaka, which, listen, she's not going to have a chance against a, girl, a woman like that. She's just not. Osaka's number one for a reason. But that was just a good scene there at Flushing Meadow there the other night to see them both there at center court and her trying to console not only just the sportsmanship, but just the, it was just a great scene. Uh, it really was. And that was, uh, you know, to me, it was just, just very lighthearted. And it was just very good to see. And as far as the men's side is concerned, well, last night, you had a one Novak Djokovic, who's we all know is the number one 
and most dominant men's tennis player going right now. Well, he bowed out of his match with Stan Wawrinka in the third set after losing the first two sets because he had a left shoulder injury. And I understand that whenever you have an injury, as much as you try to gut it out, and in this case he couldn't, he had to retire, so therefore he's not going to be anywhere near sniffing a championship this year. He just figured that, ah, that was it. How I look at it was this. I'm not Novak Djokovic. I'm not his body. I don't know. And I understand people are going to say, well, who are you to say how he feels? But you know what? If you're in the third set down 2-1, you know, it's not if you're in the third set, you were down 2-0 and you got slaughtered in the previous set. You lost 7-5. You know, it's not as if it was 6-1, 6-0, and then you're down 2-0 and you're like, oh, you know what? I just want to walk off. Which that would even show more of Djokovic being a bad guy than he is now. But still, I understand if he couldn't gut it out, just whatever. If he was hitting balls into the upper deck or volleying back into the upper deck or it's hitting the the third row, then you know what? Hey, he doesn't want to embarrass himself anymore. That was it. Even his opponent, Warinka, said that, yeah, he did kind of see something, but he was still his usual self. He was still battling. He was still competing. And I got to say this. When we look at sports and when we look at players that try to gut performances out, whether in winning efforts or losing efforts, my thing is, is that if you're in the third set and it's 2-1, and, and unless you're just completely embarrassing yourself, I mean, if you're falling on your feet, if you're hitting the ball, like I said, the ball in the third row, or you're hitting the referee with it accidentally, and then I could say, you know what, maybe this guy needs to step down. But that wasn't the case. So that was, to me, that was just a little sour on Djokovic. And he, in the post game, give it up to him. He even said that he was sorry to the fans. I'm sure they probably didn't understand what was going on, but he could totally feel why they could be upset. And raining booze down on him. So give it up to Djokovic for being at least diplomatic in that regard. You know, a lot of players, oh, they don't know me. Yeah, let me see them get on the court. Oh, you know, then they start battling the fans. And you know that you're never going to win that fight. And that's where a lot of these athletes are wrong. But in this case, he realized that, hey, he just didn't have any more left in the tank. I felt that, hey, he could have gone a little bit longer. But uh, And again, people can say, well, who are you to say J-Reels? But... Unless the racket was flying out of his hand and he certainly looked attentive as usual self, then you just got to fight through it. So that's what you have there. So you're going to have a different champion this year. Who knows if it's going to be Rafa? Who knows if it's going to be any of these guys here? Obviously Federer. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that as we get toward the end of the week and to our next podcast. So that field is wide open for a champion there. And uh, let's see. I think that's pretty much it. So, yeah, we covered everything. Baseball, college football, NBA. Through, through a couple news and notes, even though I got something else to say as far as the Heroes Zero segment. And we'll get right to that. The Hero of the Week is Indian pitcher Carlos Carrasco. Here's a guy that in May was diagnosed with leukemia. And anytime a player... Or anybody, forget about just a player, any person that's afflicted with some sort of cancer, of course, that is just of the utmost concern. It was a shame to see that happen to a player who is, you know, is a very real good pitcher. Part of that Indian staff that even though they traded Trevor Bauer, but with uh, Clevenger and Corey Kluber, although he'd been hurt, Shane Bieber, etc. Very formidable staff and him going down in May with that. But yesterday in Tampa, pitched an inning, did give up a run, give up a couple hits. 
But that doesn't matter. Just him being back on the mound with the ovation that he got from the sparse Tampa crowd. But even the Rays came out of the dugout and gave them a Carrasco ovation. Obviously, their own teammates, Francisco Lindor, had to pretty much uh, calm him down on the mound as he started to get emotional. But uh, good for him. He's definitely the hero of the week. Actually, he's the hero of the year for just coming back same year to be on a mound to just do what he loves and pitch in a Major League Baseball game. So good for him. And my zero of the week is DeMarcus Cousins. Now, Cousins, sadly, he's not going to be played this upcoming year due to an ACL injury that he suffered in a workout in Vegas. But to make matters worse, he had a an arrest warrant out for him due to a misdemeanor domestic violence charge. A recording that had surfaced about him wanting to put an effing bullet in his former or his baby mama's head due to him getting married this offseason and wanting to have, I believe it was his eight-year-old son there, but there was a dispute between him and the son's mother. So obviously he resorted to some violence and DeMarcus should know better. In this day and age, obviously anything that comes out, whether it's a Tyree Kill situation, you look at what's gone on with baseball with Aroldis Chapman, Jose Reyes, Jerry's Familia, you know, all these guys. And I get Everybody ticks differently. Nobody's perfect. I'm not trying to say they have to be perfect. But in this day and age where anything could be recorded at any time, anywhere, for that to surface like that is not only just flat out embarrassing, but right, it's, it's damaging. And in this case with Cousins, of course, the Lakers are looking into all the information. But at the same time, he's not going to play this year. So even if they release him, I don't know how that would work out. But still, be as it may, this is a bad job by Cousins. And I like him as a player. It's just unfortunate that this had to bubble up to the surface on top of this ACL injury. So that certainly doesn't make him look any good. So, But that's going to be my uh, zero of the week there as far as my hero and zero of the week. All right, that's going to do it here. Again, podcast note later on this week, Thursday morning, I'll have the 2019 NFL preview again. Break down all the divisions. You'll get all the predictions, Super Bowl, my knockout pool prediction. You name it, it's going to be wall-to-wall everything. I'll even preview the little Steelers for those out there who enjoy the Steelers as much as I do. And again, still working on that guest. So hopefully I'll have he or she on to handicap this upcoming season. So you definitely want to listen in on that. And again, for my first timers, I hope you come on back. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please, I implore you to go ahead to wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And on top of that, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, iHeartRadio, wherever it may be, to just uh, leave a rating, post a review. All that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast amongst the zillion of podcasts out there, not only just the sports, but everything else, and in hopes to generate a lot of interest with those who not only follow the program, but also to people outside where I can hopefully get those type of guests, whether they be the broadcasters, the announcers, the bloggers, writers, former, current athletes, you name it. Because I independently host, edit, write, and produce this sucker. And when you're the low man on the podcast sports totem pole, of course, there's the only way is up. But at the same time, your contribution is certainly going to help that matter. So I sincerely appreciate that. And if you'd like to reach out to me on any of the social media platforms that I'm on, whether it's J Reels on Instagram, J Reels One, just the number on Twitter, the J Reels podcast on my Facebook fan page, or you can send me an email at the jreelspodcast at gmail.com. Hit me up with a DM, send me an email, whatever questions, comments, criticism, praise. I've also opened a Patreon account. That's right, Patreon. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. If anybody wants to contribute to my work, 
which would continue to produce this podcast. Trust me, it's not going to go in my pocket. It's going to go to advertising, which I have a commercial in the works, believe it or not. So you definitely want to check your my social media accounts for that in the coming weeks. And I'll certainly leave that on my website too. Don't forget that, jreels.com. But again, Patreon, it's uh, patreon.com slash the jreels podcast. So if you do want to contribute to this, I would be more than appreciative of that as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J-Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J-Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby.